Hey, welcome to Rebel Business. This is episode eight. Took a little bit of a pause because I am recovering from one of these horrible summer colds. You can probably hear my congestion, but I'm here in New York. Paul's out in LA where nobody gets a cold. Nope, I haven't had one in probably about a year and a half. You sure it's not COVID? No, this is just a disgusting cold uh that just won't go away but um <laughs> one thing that can't be solved by ai i guess is uh getting sick that's true which sucks but uh we'll uh we'll jump right into it uh, a lot to go over since uh we haven't been around the last couple of weeks um but we have a limited audience they are a demanding bunch uh so we'll uh break down some of the things that have happened over the last few weeks um, in the world of AI, you know, we've been focusing in on that because we are using that technology to produce the show. Um, I think it was, I think it was late or early last week, maybe, or the late week before there was the uh, fake AI image of uh, attack on the Pentagon. And it was, I believe, when markets either just opened or pre-market opening, and it clearly had a dramatic effect, right? I think it was, I mean, billions of dollars in market cap was lost. Obviously, it recovered, but pretty alarming Skynet moment. Yeah, I guess I, I, I am a little surprised that people like just take that bit of information at face value. And if you see something like that, like don't you go and investigate by looking at like three or four different sources no. It kind of reminds me, they don't, right? I Do you remember 9-11? So, you know, little backstory for people. Mayhill and I worked at Lehman Brothers 20, uh, 2001. Um, and when uh, the first building, first trade tower got hit, everybody ran to the Bloomberg terminal to, to find out what the information was. And, and I, I don't want to dispute the value of Bloomberg, but like, I went downstairs and validated by myself because I saw a plane hanging out of the building, right? Sure. So, I mean, I got outside, Mayhill, you did the same thing, did your own investigative reporting and got the hell out of there. Meanwhile, most of our colleagues stuck around, waited for you know somebody to tell them what to do. And so this just brings, that, brings back that memory of like, why wouldn't you spend the extra 30 seconds less than that to validate this picture by going to like well, this is the I mean, headline. And, and that's where the world was pretty analog, right? Yes. Comparatively speaking. So, you know, I think what's happened now is because everything is so digital and instant that re-verification doesn't happen that much. I mean, I saw this thing on Twitter. It was a couple of weeks ago with Maury Povich. No, uh, Jerry Springer. And it was basically him reading a play. Now he's passed away and he was reading a character of a play who was leaving all of his money to his illegitimate kids. And so these other actors made a faux sort of video where it made it seem as if he was doing this in real life and they had his fake attorney, blah, blah, blah. There are people on Twitter who totally believed that this was real. And in fact, Maury, or sorry, keep mistaking the two. Jerry Springer. Springer only has one daughter. And in yeah. the video, it clearly showed him with two. 
Uh, so nobody verified it for hours. People were responding to this thread. They're like, oh my God. And he says in the video, he's giving all his money to his illegitimate kids. Uh, and so it was another situation. That one, obviously more entertainment driven than market driven, but it's, it's pretty wild. I mean, it, it's pretty wild. If you could make up a fake AI story, what would it be? Uh, if I could make up a fake story to publicize widely, uh, I wouldn't go with any like pop culture thing. I would go with the story about myself, actually. I would <laughs> yeah, I would have a, a fake video clip of me dunking on a 10-foot rim, two-handed, you know, 360s. And whatnot. I'd have a second clip to follow up with that uh, of me hitting 30 footers a okay. uh, hundred in a row. And then I would send those clips to every NBA and G League team trying to score myself a 10 day contract. Nice. Um, nice. I like that. I appreciate that. I don't know. I was I was thinking about it. I I I would I would I would go with the pop culture one. Uh, I, I would just say Tupac and Biggie are back. I'd have them walking out of a jungle and just being like, we're back, we're back. Uh, because one, it's my favorite era of music, the 90s. Yeah. Um, I would have, you know, Lane Staley from Alice in Chains come back, Cornell from Soundgarden come back. I would, nice. I would have a fake AI concert with Lollapalooza and... 90s hip-hop and i would charge oh, a fortune for it it would make fire festival look <laughs> like you know a flea market i would charge outrageous dollars for the arrival of seattle grunge and tupac and biggie coming back well unfortunately for you tupac probably isn't dead because they keep putting out hits and they keep making movies about the guy uh, it sure. seems like uh, like he's he. There's a decent chance he's still around. But I like the idea. Especially, I'd get, a, I'd get sued by his estate. I would assume. Yeah. <laughs> or they'd want a piece. I don't know. But um, I would go in that route. But yeah, it was wild. I mean, that that's kind of crazy. And you know, um, this week we saw you know Coinbase getting in trouble with the SEC. And you know, we've talked about it now for a while that you know, AI, hopefully they don't sort of let it go loose for as long as, you know, crypto went loose and social media went loose because it's so hard to claw it back, you know, yeah. once that happens. Yeah, you know, I, I, you and I probably have differing opinions on this stuff. So for me, I, I see the need for regulation definitely in, you know, the face of some of the recent uh, fraud that we've seen FTX, uh, you know, Binance, it looks like, is being accused of fraud. Um, in the case of Coinbase, that one seems like the SEC is really just trying to get Coinbase to the negotiating table, which is kind of a strange tactic at this point, because Coinbase has openly stated their desire to be regulated, right? And so now you're, you're kind of in this weird, you know, uh, do you want to be governed? Do you not want to be governed? Um, are these digital assets actually securities and should they be regulated as such? Um, 
My personal opinion is I think crypto was founded on the principle of decentralization, of disintermediation of broker dealers, banks who are basically collecting a nickel or a dime for every you know transaction between people. I, I'm in favor of crypto as a workaround for that. I know there's been some hiccups. I'm, I'm in favor of some light regulation. I don't want to go full bore uh, you know, yeah, banking. I, I feel like crypto was simply founded on promotional Ponzi. That's basically it. I don't, I don't see anything else here. Like these guys that come out and be like, we're trying to decentralize this, decentralize that have almost no finance or economic background or banking background, even understand what the hell that means. I just feel like they promoted a product. It inflated in value and that's what it is. It can still go unregulated. I just wish that it was marketed more clearly, right? Because there are likely people that did believe that it was more of a financial instrument than it was just, hey, this is just speculation. I mean, that more than anything else, that's what it is. And right. I think kind of getting that clear to the person who's buying it, if it's clear to the person who's buying it, then it's clear. I mean, it's just like somebody who spends a hundred bucks on a lottery ticket. They know what the odds are. So you can't be like, oh, we have to regulate the amount of lottery tickets that somebody buys because they may blow their whole paycheck on it. But they're completely aware of what the odds are. So it's like, no, you shouldn't regulate that. And I think if crypto is, it's more clearly defined to, to the public, then it probably doesn't need that hardcore regulation but i just don't feel like it has been most people can't explain what it is yeah so uh i want to spend a minute here just talking about you know deep state regulation and how far against it i am um you know there are certain things in the world that we know just at a surface level are bad right we know smoking is bad for you we know Gambling is bad for you, right? You're when done Yankee in Yankee. excess, bad for you, right? All of it. And so we know this when we go on to Coinbase, right? That the value of the crypto that we buy can absolutely decline in value. I think that's a pretty well-known fact, right? Maybe it's not known on the, the, the periphery, um, but most people, 90% of people have a pretty clear understanding that this is a speculative asset. And so I agree there should be some ring fencing, right? Some some loose regulation around how it's marketed. And, and you know, you, to your point, you made this in an earlier podcast. You know, when you get Matt Damon and Tom Brady and Giselle touting your yeah, crypto platform I mean, that's that's dangerous that's slippery slope right it pulls in a consumer that is really yeah. buying it for that makes it feel a lot safer than it may be and i get it you have spokespeople for other things in right. in the consumer world i get it but this is to me this is a little different and I agree with you. There, there's got to be a middle ground. There's got to be, you know, some level of regulation. Um, but my, I don't want to say it's genuine distrust of government, but by, my, my biggest point is that the failings of government in terms of regulation, I look at like 
cigarettes. And I don't know if you noticed this, you saw this article, Canada is now going to put a uh, warning on every individual cigarette. So it's going to say cancer kills or cancer does, uh, 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 smoking does this to you, right? Yeah. And it's like, we, we all know this. Like everybody has a very clear understanding that smoking isn't bad. You're getting down to this like really nitty gritty level and you're expecting that to have some, what, deterrent effect. It doesn't. You've overregulated, right? You've yeah, over, at that point, it do, I don't see how that's going to make an impact. And, and right. I agree with you. There's just so many examples of government intervention that was uh, not just misleading, was just false, right? I mean, how much milk did we grow up freaking drinking, right? I mean, come on. That, that's that you don't need it. Bag of, of nonsense, but... It's not good for you. Like you're not you're not supposed to be drinking gallons of milk in a month. And that's all you could get in the cafeteria yeah. when I was a kid. You couldn't get anything else. You could only get milk. That's and right. It's definitely been, you know, it, it was pushed by the government. So I agree. You know, it's it's not perfect. It's just um, we just live in an age where the quick buck is very attractive. And there's just people who need a little bit more information to, to make those decisions. Um, so we'll see where that goes. But it was, you know, on the on the broader economy, a um, lot happened last week. We had a huge job number that was pretty positive. I mean, there's like 355,000 new jobs were added. I think that was like almost 2x what the estimate was. Uh, spending was up, you know, we've been talking about, you know, consumer debt for a couple episodes. It seems like people are still financing, um, consumption via pretty high rate, uh, credit cards. Um, you know, given all of that, I, I still, you know, believe, you know, I know people are like, are you bearish? Are you bullish? What are you? It's, it's not so much that I'm a bear or I'm a bull. Uh, I just think a slowdown is still coming. You know, I know that we've had a big rally, uh, but it just doesn't seem sustainable to me based on a lot of kind of the underlying data once you look at it. Um, you know, and I know the S&P 500 had kind of a nice rip here, but that's you know, really dominated by 10 mega cap gigantic companies that are essentially monopolies like Apple and Microsoft and Amazon and Meta and, you know, all the big guys kind of dominate that. And I saw a stat actually from empirical research uh, that said, you know, the, the big caps have basically created 70% of that gain in the S&P 500 index. And if you look at the EPS earnings um, up, to, up to date, starting from the beginning of the year, uh, those large caps, those same large caps are up 12%, and then the balance is down 3%. So it's, it's just, I don't know. To me, it just seems like it's, if you look at it holistically, it's still spells that a slowdown's coming. Yeah, I think, you know, my, my problem with it is the, the EPS measure itself is just so fundamentally flawed, right? So uh, in the tech space, 
Google did it last week or announced it last week. Meta did it uh, in their last earnings announcement. And Microsoft did it uh, late last year. They changed the useful life, uh, uh, life, the useful life of their computer equipment, so servers and some of their networking uh, hardware from all these companies were amortizing over four years. They're now amortizing somewhere between five and six years. But when you have these huge asset bases of servers in particular, and you take that and you start to spread the cost out over a longer period, right? You get this artificial earnings inflation, right? And I think uh, uh, Warren Buffett spoke about it pretty recently. He's like, this is all funny math. Like, yeah. there is no there is no cash flow impact to any of this. This is just them sort of putting dressing on their financial reporting and, you know, uh, we know how it works in terms of like beating consensus estimates. Well, what happens when consensus estimates are, you know, sandbagged, right, by by the uh, research companies themselves, right? There's this kind of a weird approach that everybody involved in, you know, Wall Street and, and these operating companies. Well, yeah, I uh, mean, look, if you if you constantly change what par is on a, on a golf course, yeah, you're going to shoot better. Yep. You know, if you are, it goes from a, a par four to a par five. Yeah, pretty sure you're you're probably going to shoot better or hit better on that on that hole. And and there's just there's a lot of that. They're just lowering EPS earnings estimates, and they're beating them. But yeah, but you're lowering them. Uh, <laughs> so where are we really? Are we really going into like a hardcore bearish you know environment? I don't know. But I, I know that we're slowing down. Uh, and I, again, you know, commercial real estate, because it doesn't trade on an exchange and it sort of doesn't have the same liquidity. You can't just say, all right, I want to sell this real estate asset tomorrow or by the end of the day. It takes months, honestly, to sell a real estate asset. I mean, anybody who's even sold a home knows they don't sell it in two days, you might put it in a contract in two days, but the actual sale still could take a couple of weeks uh, before it actually transacts. And, and you know, residential homes are, are the most liquid. When you look in those areas where it you can't transact as quick, I think that's where you really see that, okay, a slowdown is coming um, for sure, because I, I certainly see it in the commercial real estate side. It, it is, the amount of volume has come down uh, which means the amount of money that's going to be made in real estate, you know, certainly in 2023 is going to be probably the lowest in, I would say, 10 years. Uh, it might be even backing into, you know, 2010, 2009 yeah. levels because it, it has slowed down. It has tremendously slowed down. I got to think that that's right. Like it's going to be bad. Of all the sectors you can point to, where you know it's going to be the the most pronounced it's got to be commercial real estate got you it. sent me an article earlier this week about you know google putting 1.4 yeah. million square feet of office space in the bay area up for sublease like and that's a company they, they have no shortage of cash they can sit there and float that empty oh, space yeah. for as long yeah. as they want right they're a but, country dude they yeah, have the exactly. budget of most countries yeah. Yeah. More so, but that goes to your point, right? Because, you know, 
yeah, they're subletting their space and that's the wise thing to do. But does that really, is it really making them more profitable? Is that really speaking to their core business? No, they're, they're cutting their costs as they should, as they should, but should the valuation of the company rise based on that? I don't know if it should, you know, I, I don't think it actually should because what it actually is telling you is that management for a few years, probably their eyes were a little too big. They signed leases and built up expansion space that they clearly didn't need because they're putting it on the market for sublease. you know? So I, I just think that you're right about a lot of that, that um, it's a little contrived how they're getting their margins. Not to say that they shouldn't be doing it, they should be cutting costs, but I think you got to look a little bit deeper uh, under the hood here to see really if that engine is is really pumping the way it was before. It just doesn't seem like it is. I mean, there was there is some good news, right? We we did pass this debt ceiling um, situation. Hooray! Hooray! Yeah, you know they actually got over three hundred congressmen and congresswomen to vote for this, which is pretty remarkable. I thought it would be a lot less than that number. So I was glad to see that because that also triggers, uh, I believe the infrastructure bill now has spending power and the, uh, I guess the Inflation Reduction Act. All of these are kind of wonky policy terms, but end of the day, what it means is the government can spend some money and stimulate the economy, um, which is, I think, going to be needed. I think infrastructure spending obviously has been needed for a long time. Uh, so that might help for a softer landing. But I did find something that was interesting. I'd like to get your take on it because it actually really does speak to sort of the funny math that you were talking about. This, I think, is bad news. Um, it was uh, it was in a Moody's report, and it said low income and younger households have borrowed aggressively since the pandemic uh, because lenders have effectively lowered their underwriting standards due to the credit score inflation prompted by the government's pandemic bailout packages, which required lenders not to report credit problems to the credit bureaus. That's bad. Yeah. That's bad. Bad news. That's literally turning a blind eye to the problem temporarily right, just no, to, to spare yourself. That's like being a parent of a 15-year-old and seeing them, you know. Smoke weed. Yeah, being not, not totally high, it. totally yeah. drunk, and just sort of being like, oh, yeah, you just, Robbie yeah. just needs some sleep. <laughs> yeah let him sleep it off we're not going to talk about this yeah i mean that's pretty when i when i saw that i was like damn that's pretty bad you're you're 100 right that's just basically saying okay yeah people are um not really paying their credit card bills essentially or other loans worse it could be auto loans it could be whatever but we're not going to hit them up on their credit score so they can continue to go and get more financing from yeah. another credit card or actually when they go and try to get a loan for a car or, or something else it's it's not going to be reflective of the actual risk of that borrower no and you know i i think people are on 
you know, broadly speaking, shakier ground in terms of their employment, right? And in terms of their uh, upward mobility within jobs, right? I, mean, I, I think everybody's sort of treading water at their current uh, position, right? Even if they were unhappy uh, and companies are probably still gonna go through some more layoffs. So when you couple that with the fact that we're spending probably probably a shade less than we were, you know, uh, last this time last year as a percentage of you know uh, disposable income, but inflation is still there and people have just kind of kicked the can down the road. You're gonna you're gonna see some pain, unfortunately. Right, we're just gonna have uh, upticks in consumer debt defaults, whether it's auto loans, home loans. Um, uh, credit card debt. Yeah, it's it's coming, right? I mean, it's just going to be how deep is that going to be? I I don't know. I don't think it's going to obviously. I don't think it's going to get to two thousand eight levels. And and we've talked to this about this before. But it's frustrating when you read things like that, where it's like this is why we get unpleasant surprises. Is you know maybe there was a good reason to do that but my guess if i had to guess it was because they wanted us to continue to spend during the pandemic to keep the economy going and you can make the argument that hey we needed to do that or we'd be in a much worse place now but again i I don't know i mean (laughs) it's a very much a false sense of security to somebody when they see that their credit score is you know in the high 700s when they're carrying massive balances. Uh, it, it, I don't know. I, at this point, we're far removed enough, in my opinion, from the pandemic. Like, let's gonna clean up, let's clean up the closets here, man. Or this is gonna get nasty. Uh, yeah. So there's a lot of that that's happening. Um, another actually cool thing, I guess, that happened um, was like, I guess it was a Virgin Galactic. Did their first state flight a couple of weeks back, or I think it was early last week. Uh, and I believe it's like it's supposed to go what 50,000 feet above the surface of the earth. Um, and so but then it then it launches further up, right? Because that's 50,000 feet, isn't that like the uh, I forgot what the they call it. there's a certain name for it, but that's basically the barrier between space and um. And well, I think that's, that's when it detaches. Thousand. I think that's when, you're right. that's when it detaches. And then you're, I guess that's when you're really out in outer space and you're getting the weightlessness. And yeah. um, I guess what astronauts uh, experience when they're in space. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess, you know, for, and this is just my basic understanding is you, you take this rocket powered plane up, but it's a more gradual uh, experience than, you know, the 8G force that you feel when you're in a NASA ship, but you get to that precipice and then you go, you know, uh, on your little spacewalk, if you will. Um, I'm curious, you, uh, would you take it, if somebody offered it to you at some reasonable price, would you, uh, 25 grand, I know these are hundreds of thousands of dollars. I mean, would you do it? Well, one, I think it's a, it's a terrible name, Virgin Galactic. It just sounds like you're the biggest virgin ever. Like you're, you're the guy who couldn't, you couldn't get laid at that that bar in Star Wars with all the freakish 
characters. That's that's being Virgin Galactic. So I think uh, first of all, they they should work on that one. Um, I don't know. I don't really have a huge desire to go out there. I think there's a lot of nothingness out there. Um, I'd probably go if I was, you know, if I was much older, I was in my, if I made it to my like 95th birthday, maybe I'd do it. Yeah, um, why not? You know, it's, it, it's an experience. It's obviously that view is, it, do I think it would change your life? I don't think it would change my life, but it, I think if you needed, if you were at a point in your life that you needed to make something feel small, like if you were, if you were like really dealing with something hardcore, I bet you it would help because you're out there and you see that the, the, you know, the earth is like what you are compared to the planet earth is nothing. I think maybe, I think so. I would say probably not but it would also depend at where i was in my life but with the current pricing absolutely not yeah what is it it's like 250 grand or something like that uh i actually have the numbers here um yeah it ranges from 200 to 250,000 and i think that that i think the current one is 450 I mean, it's basically you're paying for a house uh, yep. or, or a lot of things. I mean, and the trip has got to be like two or three hours, uh, meaning like start to finish got to be two or three hours. You can't be up in space for all that long. Um, no, I, I don't think it's very long, but like, do you think no. I, because of the price point, I just, it, and they've invested obviously tons of money in this. Yeah. I have to assume that the business plan is that the technology to do this will get less and less expensive because at that price point, do you think this is like viable? No No way. Right. I mean, maybe at like, think about it. You can't, you can't, this isn't even, it doesn't even appeal to like families. It's, it appeals to obviously uber rich and individuals or maybe a couple. Right. Uh, cause even if your price came down to like 25,000, you're probably not going to do the experience alone. Right. No, you're going to find somebody to go with. Probably not. And then it's also like, it's, it's for the Uber rich, but also you have to have a certain risk appetite to want to do this. True. Yeah, that's true too. You're, you're being shot out into space and you got to come back down. Like there yeah. are things that could go wrong here. So, you know, it's not the same as taking a domestic flight from one U.S. city to the other. I mean, you take a chance every time you get on a plane, but this is a little bit different, a lot bit yeah. different, you know? Yes, a lot bit different, yeah. Uh, so I I just, I, I unless the technology makes this price go down in some way, I don't see how this was worth it. Uh, you know, I, I think they're trying to potentially sell this uh, platform, but I don't, I don't know who the hell is going to buy this. I mean... It, it's so expensive. How many, I mean, you can, you could probably, it's a probably a finite number of people and it's for your sort of discretionary money to spend on, to have a good time. You can have a really good time on $250,000 doing so many things for multiple years. Yeah, I'm curious. Did you uh, hear or read about uh, the Apple AR VR headset called 
the Apple Vision Pro? I, I've only heard it mostly from friends, and everyone has basically said it looks amazing. It looks amazing, right? And the price point is, again, for, I don't want to say it's for the uber rich, but it's for the wealthy, right? It's $3,500 for yeah, the headset. That's, that's not nothing. I mean, $3,500 right. is... You, that, it's a TV. Yeah, it's a nice TV. Um, that, that's a massive nice TV. That's two nice TVs. It's true. But would you would you pony up for that, right? Because that's kind of closer to the range that yeah you could. I, I don't you know. Like, so I don't know what it really does. But if it made me feel like I was sitting courtside to watch a basketball game, yes, I would. Yeah. Yes, and I, I think will. that's what the, all these uh, headsets are going for. Eventually, is just to give you immersive experience for you know live event, concert, sporting event. Yeah, I mean, I would. Um, the technology would have to be good. Like, so, like my, you know, my dad's eighty, and we don't live in the same city. If it was something where it's like, hey, you know, me and my dad could feel like we're doing something together, I would then, I would pony up for it, but it the technology would have to be very satisfying for me to spend that kind of money. I mean, you're, you're spending a hundred bucks a, a month for three years to, to pay for that thing. Right. Right. And I'm sure, you know, the, the apps themselves are pretty expensive. Um, the, the content uh, once you get into it, but yeah, I look at, again, could be a game changer looks and uh, has demoed really well. Uh, I'm curious to try it. I won't end up buying one myself, but uh, I'll borrow yours when uh, when you get yours. We'll see. It's got to be. I, I'll I'll definitely check out a demo. That I will do. Um, but anyway, uh, we're coming to the end of our episode where we uh, like to um, evaluate, analyze, rip apart movie trailers, and decide if it's a trailer trash or trailer treasure. But we will recap um, what we did uh, on our last episode. And we uh, took a stab at what we thought the movie Kandahar would make on opening weekend. And it made $2.3 million. And Paul, I got to give it to you. You said $2 million. I said 6 You did get it. Um, uh. I, I still have to go see it because I'm certain that that scene that I predicted, it's going to be in there where he talks about his translator. translator. Yeah, for sure. But uh, this uh, this uh, episode, what we're going to try to predict is Dolly Land. Well, how much that's going to make. I'll give you the description of uh, this movie that's coming out um, this weekend. Sir Bensley Kingsley, or as he, okay, sorry about that. Sir Ben Kingsley as Salvador Dolly, one of the most world-renowned artists of the 20th century and focuses on the later years of the strange and fascinating marriage between Dolly and his wife um, as their seemingly unshakable bond begins to stress and fracture. Set in New York and Spain in 1974, the film is told through the eyes of James, a young assistant keen to make his name in the art world who helps the eccentric dolly prepare for a big gallery show um did you see the preview 
I watched the preview. Uh, I am, of course, a huge Sir Ben Kingsley fan from his famous days as Gandhi. Uh, but this is going to flop miserably. I mean, <laughs> does, does anybody really care about like the trials and tribulations of artists like to see it for 90 minutes or or so on film i don't think so this seems I, like it's just like a major motion picture this is uh studio i don't i couldn't find what the budget was but looking right. at the trailer it did not look like they spared a yeah lot it was in low production yeah that's true uh yeah i'm going under whatever we set the bar at i'm taking i'm taking the under I mean, yeah, I, I watched the trailer and I have to say it didn't seem that interesting. You know, it's no. kind of like one of those situations where it's like really fancy wrapping paper and a really nice bow, but the gift kind of sucks. Yeah, um, and he's he's an outstanding actor. He really one is. One of the best, one of the best yeah. ever. You know, I just, but I just don't know how interesting it is to just see someone be eccentric for 120 minutes straight right you know how interesting is that gonna be i i think it's gonna make a million bucks a million bucks yeah I, i'm with you million to two million bucks can't go any higher than that um all right well that's gonna be our episode paul is off to france uh, that's right. Next week and the following week, uh, he has chosen not to go to space. He's going to use his vacation money to go to France. Mm -hmm. We'll hear all about that when he gets back. Uh, we'll probably have a few guests in between. Uh, who knows? Maybe they'll replace Paul. We don't know. We <laughs> don't know what's going to happen. There are no laws here. All right. See you, everybody. Cool. Thanks, everyone. See ya.